the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. You're listening to the Startup Women Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Startup Women Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and all of the support that you need to make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Dakota Brandt on our show today. Dakota is a Mohawk Nation woman from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. She's the co-founder and CEO of Sapling & Flint, an on-reserve jewelry manufacturer specializing in gold and silver. Dakota has traveled North America and Europe over the past 15 years as a professional speaker and consultant on Indigenous issues in Canada and the U.S. She holds a master's degree in community planning from the University of B.C., Currently, she lives in the village of Oswegan with her family and is a volunteer firefighter. Welcome to the show, Dakota. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so, so excited. Uh, so before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that the land on which I am on today is located on the unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe Nation. I also encourage all of our listeners here today to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional territory that they are residing on today. So let's just dive right into Coda. Let's let's jump into question one. What's really the most important thing you want our audience of women entrepreneurs to take away from our conversation? I think a big one. Um, I remember doing a, a Zoom chat recently with some other entrepreneurs, and uh, one of the questions that came up was, um, "Do you ever question being an entrepreneur? <laughs> Do you ever question your entrepreneurship?" And um, we had I was on this panel with all the with. Um, I think three other entrepreneurs and all, all women well-established are um, very much a lot to celebrate in terms of their own business success. Um, but I think I was speaking for all of us when I said, I, like, I question it like three or four times a day. <laughs> it's not a feeling that really goes away or it hasn't certainly for me yet. Um, but I mean, I, I guess just um, um, touching on, you know, those anxieties over, you know, um, pursuing it as a, as a career choice or, um, making sure that you take the opportunity to celebrate your milestones as an individual and as an entrepreneur and let you know that it's not a, I don't know if at any point, um, you know, you, you can shape that feeling, but, um, but, um, there's a lot of excitement in it and, um, and I, and I, I don't regret it for a minute, um, being, uh, taking this, taking this direction. And, um, I, I hope that I'm able to share a little bit more, um, in relation to that, if anybody is feeling that way, um, from, um, listening to this podcast. Absolutely. I think there are many listeners who will definitely resonate uh, with that message. So walk us on your entrepreneurial journey. Um, why did you and your twin sister, Jessie, launch Sapling and Flint? Bring us to the very beginning of this journey. 
So both of us already have a, an arts-related background. So Jesse is um, a college-trained goldsmith, and um, I, I am a master regalia maker, the Haudenosaunee style of um, raised beadwork. And um, I guess around 2014 is when we started doing this just as a hobby with the two of us. We would sell, you know, I would decorate cell phone covers, and Jesse was making earrings, and um, we're selling these things to family and friends and at local, like, craft bazaars. And, um, and so we were doing that kind of for fun for a while, but by the time I became pregnant with my son, Sagara Kodashi, I, um, I, I had to make that, we had to have that conversation, you know, like, I'm about to have a child. Is this something that we wanted to do as is this still just for fun for us or is it something we wanted to pursue? So um, shortly after I, I had my son, we opened up um, a store here and uh, rebranded ourselves. Uh, we had already been on the internet a little bit uh, within our, our own online store. And um, from that point on, it was just um, diving into the business full time, just based on um, the experience and the education that we got just for doing it as a hobby. And since Sapling and Flint's inception, a portion of the profits have always gone to cultural revitalization projects in the Six Nations communities. Can you tell us, you know, what have these projects been? Um, what impact have they had? Um, and how has your journey as being an entrepreneur with Sapling and Flint um, sort of connected and inspired other other like-minded entrepreneurs within your community? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll say this about, like, the Six Nations community in general, um, and I, it's it's in our culture to be helpers and to be, in, and to be giving people um, we never, you know, in the old days, we never determined a person's success or prestige based upon how wealthy they were. It was always based upon how much they gave away um, in order to in order to take care of our people. Um, and so, with and so, it's always reflected like that. Even culturally, we have medicine societies, dance and singing societies, those those sort of things within our culture. But the number one job of you know, if you ask a if you ask a, a person who's a member of a singing society what their number one job is, they won't say it's singing. It's to help the people, and it's to be a helper. Sometimes that doesn't mean your the skill set that you have. You know, every once in a while, I see men who are part of singing societies, but they're out chopping wood for elders. You know, has nothing to do with singing. <laughs> and so, so it's always been a part of our of our culture that um, we're like we're giving in the way that um, is meaningful or helpful when people have that time of need. Um, we like we've been um, cultural and youth focused, so we have donated to you know to to our longhouse maintenance fund because we have a longhouse here. Um, um, to the language programs, we've sponsored um, young people to go play at um, to go play sports, uh, lacrosse, uh, speak, um, participate in the um, the um, the indigenous games, which is an international indigenous games or that takes place um, within our community. And then, yeah, just, um, I've never really, um, like we, we throw the word corporate responsibility around too, but uh, like, but I, but I honestly think that when you're just giving back to a community that you care about, that it's just your responsibility as a, as a community member, as a citizen, it's not something I really jumped on and, and, and decided that, oh, we need to write up something about how we're going to be, um, corp, we're going to be responsible as a company, right? It's just something that, um, we've, uh, we've always done. And I feel like anybody has does when they know that they're when they're a member of a community that they love. Hmm. 
Yeah, that it's just baked in from the very beginning and, and an essential factor of the business. Uh, and I love that, you know, looking at success is not necessarily just about wealth. And so many startups, you know, have different um, different measurements as to what does success look like? Is that bringing wealth back into your community? Is that, um, you know, being a single mom and being able to have the flexibility to grow your business? Is that, you know, complete hockey stick growth and building a huge global competitor? It means different things to so many different people. And we need to respect all of those different journeys based on the prior priorities of the person um, and uh, the communities that they're trying to connect back to. And then having that overall vision of where, not just where you're at right now, but what constitutes success for you. So um, me, I'm not looking to like, if my business isn't successful, then I can't help as my my community as well. And um, so one of the biggest things that I can really be doing for my community is creating job opportunity as much as possible. Um, We have so many world-class artists here and yet we don't have any artists that are necessarily doing it full-time um, because it is a struggle to create to tap into the arts market and um, and to create a and to create a viable uh, a viable you know career tr- strategy for yourself without being that person who's always depending on arts grants every single year or something and I'm just like I want to keep it simple I want to I want to build a business and give people jobs and I want to do it here in our community where it's already even with tourism, we're still First Nations communities are still the most socially and economically isolated communities in Canada, and um, I want to rise above that and chat and and be like I can create jobs and opportunity and meaningful opportunity here. Where as an Indigenous artist um, coming up in this community, I don't want them to think that they have to move away mm-hmm. in order to pursue their own cultural art forms, um, which is ironic because it happens a lot. Our world are are the best. Indigenous artists in Canada, most of them are living in the cities. They're not because the opportunity just isn't there if they want to live at home. um, That's not what I want for myself. I want to pursue my art, but I also want my community to to benefit directly from it. And they can't necessarily do that if I'm not living here. So I know for every job that I'm making, um, we're we're promoting the cultural revitalization of of silversmithing because there is a 400 year trade in silversmithing in Haudenosaunee communities to revitalize that. And, and and let people know that yeah you can you can do that but also make it um, but have it also be a viable career and um, that's just what I'm trying to build in my community is just meaningful arts based um, opportunity and employment. Mm. And the timing is prime for this, you know, with, with obviously all of the challenges that COVID has brought, one opportunity that it has is shifting online and looking at e-commerce and the potential of, you know, having rurally based businesses or businesses, um, you know, across Canada that are reaching either national markets or global markets through e-commerce strategies. And I know, you know, you and I have spoken often about Sapling and Flint's digital strategy, you know, your tremendous boost in online sales since COVID happened um, and the growth that this could potentially present for, for indigenous businesses. Walk us through some of the impact and support that you think e-commerce can, can have with the growth of indigenous businesses, not just in their local communities, but nationally or internationally. Um, something about e-commerce is we've, as a brand, have just known from the very beginning that um, navigating e-commerce and online sales was only going to maximize um, our our bottom line because we, again, we're based on a First Nation and there's not always a lot of opportunity in terms of tourism in order to be able to sell product within a community. And so to, um, take bead workers, for example, you know, um, um, people who set, who are artisans that do craft work and they sell them at powwows, um, they generally make their product in the wintertime and then sell it in the summertime. 
And, um, and that's the way it's just, you know, been since before, you know, the online revolution with e-commerce. And so, but that meant essentially that they only had a certain number of weekends, what, maybe five, six, you know, 10, if you're super ambitious, um, in a, in an entire year where they're actually making sales, that's only about 20 days worth of sales in an entire year. But selling the same products online, you with the right pro platform, you have 365 days worth of sales potential, and uh, and so that requires that online um, navigate understanding of nav um, navigating e-commerce online, and then also having um, having the product and the inventory to be able to maintain that. So it's a it's a bu been building of both, and I've already I've always I've already known that while like before and then and in building my brand. But when COVID came around, um, it wasn't so much like what, cause I had, you know, journalists and done interviews since then where a lot of them were, you know, what was the, what was the challenge of tapping into e-commerce with, with COVID? But I was like, we didn't have to, we were already, we already had that presence. What we had, to, what we had challenge, our challenge was in, was maintaining the inventory because sales just blew up online in ways that we never had before. So our sales went up, even though our, our physical brick and mortar uh, gallery has been shut down for a year. And so um, COVID has really been about challenging and reaffirming what it is that I had learned over the first uh, over the first three years of having my business and, um, and and making sure that, you know, like I'm at the top of my game and understanding things because now it's more now it's more important than ever to make sure that I can carve a space out online where people can find me and um, and have that same brand experience that I would I would hope for them to have if they came into my store you know that that trend that experience needs to be seamless between the brick and mortar and the online experience mm. and you spoke so beautifully to this um, in one of our startup women webinars about you know looking at e-commerce looking at the opportunities there and pivoting um, to these you know online ventures and talking specifically you know the nitty-gritty what platforms what tech what questions do you need to be mm -hmm. asking yourself to support your e-commerce operations um, so when if you were talking to a woman entrepreneur that's just entering into this space for the first time what do you think is the most important um, areas to consider what tools um what platforms what have you used uh, that that have been really successful for you well there's two ways i would tackle that question um one is what's the experience that i need to have for me to make sense of my own business but the other one that does get overlooked is reminding yourself what's the experience that your customer is having mm. with your website you know like look at your website constantly and think like what part of this might a customer find confusing mm. Uh, what's limiting? What's hard to find? You know, is is my transaction process is it seamless enough where people can comfortably go through it? Because if anybody struggles with the transaction process, they drop the sale pretty easily online. Mm. That's a different. Like people would rather stand in a twenty minute lineup in a retail store, but if but do you think that they're going to wait twenty minutes for a transaction to go through online? Mm. Completely different. Um, and people are just completely different like that. And in, in, in between their online, uh, like a brick and mortar experience and an online experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's just, that's the thing that I get to from the very beginning is um, what experience is your customer having and um, think about it often. And um, how can you, how can you improve it or make it better? Right. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, using these, these different platforms and really looking at that, that experience, bridging the in-person to the digital, um, you know, we know that, that you are an adamant fan of our, our pals at PayPal, um, who, you know, really support, um, you know, building businesses locally and both overseas. How does, you know, a support partner like PayPal help you really drive cross-border sales and bringing that experience to the computer screens of all of these new customers that you're engaging at a global level? I think that PayPal just, um, because it has that global brand um, already that who's buying on my website, they just see that brand power that comes from um, PayPal being an option. They know that their transactions are secure with PayPal, that guarantee that's behind PayPal. It's it's something that um, like I, I can't create more of um of, of a, a secure experience than what PayPal can. You know, they, they bring that that sort of um appeal that. I can't necessarily buy from myself when it comes to our my my customers feeling like their transactions are being safe and secure online, and then um, also um, my my transaction experience with wholesales with wholesale is a little bit different because I do I do use PayPal for my invoicing, so like my invoicing process is a lot more seamless in that I can I can send links instantly to any of my customers who are doing wholesale purchases. And it gives them that option right away. They can pay it online right away if they want with a credit card or anything. But also, I, they're able to just download and take care of uh, take care of the the invoice themselves. Like um, if they have some sort of um some other means of wanting to take care of the invoice. But um, I just find like it's a simple, seamless way to see it um uh, to issue invoices when they're paid. They online they do seamlessly fit into my accounting software. So I do have that setup between you know PayPal Canada, PayPal US that goes into my accounting software. And I'm able to um, to make that part of my like my reconciliation or my bookkeeping on the back on the background in the back office like, um, and like um, in real time too. It happens instantly. Fantastic! I love that. Simple, seamless. <laughs> Those are two great <laughs> things. Um, but that trust factor, especially when you don't um, you know have that face to face connection where you can build an actual relationship with somebody in store. How else are you going to get that trust? And by looking at you know really credible platforms um, and well recognized partners that can create you know more trusting experience when people are you know, putting their credit cards online and, and sharing information um, that especially when businesses are looking to scale, considering that factor is much more important than people think, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially when, sca- when scaling is coming in place, because I know now, like even more and more, I'm I'm relying on um, the invoicing end of it for wholesale. That's that's um that's the part where we're really going to start growing our business at Sapling and Flint. We aspire to have our brand in um, wholesaling and um, gift shops all across the country. And uh, but to be able to start fulfilling that, I need to make sure my invoice process for wholesaling is as seamless as possible. And that's what PayPal does for me right now. Amazing. And it's so, so important. Sometimes this is not the sexy stuff that we talk about on the podcast, but it is absolutely essential, um, you know, in building really scalable and, and fully functional businesses that, um, you know, you have that trust that the back end is clean um, and that, uh, you know, you can be focusing on other very important things like growing the business and, you know, expanding into new markets. Amazing. And so looking at, um, you know, obviously e-commerce expanding customer pools exponentially, you know, you have this great local focus, um, national and international. Um, but we know, and we've been having so many conversations within our nation's business ecosystem, um, within first nations communities and lack of access to broadband internet. 
and that we um, you know, have a really long way to go in this country making sure that just because something is digital, there's this perception that that means that it's accessible. And that's not the case in, in many communities that don't have high speed uh, internet. Um, can you speak to this and you know, what you're seeing within other First Nations communities or within your own? Um, and you know, what, what can we do to make um, you know, this, this less of an issue across, across the nation? It's these kind of examples where I know where I can just see it that if we're going to see any kind of equity um, between you know the, the First Nations experience as a community and outside of First Nations, it's um equity isn't going to be made by the government. And we've already been really clear about that. Like Indigenous people for over a hundred years now have known that equity has never just been um, a priority for for Canada. The expiration date or the deadline has already has already passed when from when Justin Trudeau committed to fresh drinking or to clean drinking water and ending the water bo- boiling crisis for First Nations across Canada. That deadline came and went. He made that promise in 2015, and the same thing exists is it exists with broadband internet. Um, it's easy to say that oh, let's do online early learning, but you have First Nations that just don't have the broadband coverage to be able to do anything like that. And so I do see that um, in those in those cases, you know, like the relationships that that we have with um, with business um, is going to is going to be what increases the opportunity for us. So when I talk about increasing broadband being good for economic opportunity on First Nations, it, it, it translates so much further within the communities as well. Um, that's the different, you know, having access to broadband Internet is good for healthcare. You know, most communities in, in isolated communities can't maintain a doctor. Um, but what if a, a doctor can be just a just a Zoom call away? Um, having access to high school and education online, a lot of First Nations students they we don't have high schools in the north. They have to fly themselves to Winnipeg or Thunder Bay in order to be able to go to high school. I'm not even talking about leaving home for university. I'm talking about 14 year olds needing that needing to leave home for high school. And though, so even though um, the business the business argument can be made there about opening up broadband experience for, for more socially and economically isolated communities, communities in Canada, it translates into the, the social benefit as well uh, of having, having those accesses. You're creating equity in so many different, on so many different levels when, um, when you have that access to broadband in places where there just isn't right now. And I think it's a really important point for, you know, for everyone to be aware of, because I think um, so often we just default to this narrative that now that everything is digital and online, it is inherently accessible and that we assume this privilege and this access to high speed Internet is consistent across the entire country, which it absolutely is not. Um, And, you know, obviously we're not going to solve this problem on today's podcast, but to our (laughs) listeners, um, I think just just reflecting on that a little bit and, and remembering when, you know, you're having Internet issues in your urban center um, and, you know, when, when internet is something that you take for granted, remembering those connectivity issues are an immense challenge, uh, both economically, socially, everything that you've just spoken to, Dakota, um, within First Nations communities across the nation um, and with rural entrepreneurs in general as well, even beyond just First Nations communities. So I think it's a conversation we need to be having more actively and we need to be much more aware of our own privileges in, in urban centers where we're not thinking about this on a daily basis. So in terms of other, you know, tools or, or things that you wish you knew when you started, you know, let's go back to your, your entrepreneurship journey. Um, and when you started your business, are there any other tips or pieces of advice that you'd like to share with other Indigenous women um, who are either aiming to start or are actively growing their business right now? I think when you're incorporating the online experience, um, it's always valuable 
um, for your brand to be focused on creating patrons of your clients. You're not looking for that, you know, that one-off sale to sell mm. um, that single product. I think when you have the brand power, um, when you're when you're when you're passionate enough about your brand and you make all your customers um, feel that same passion that you have about it, um, that's the difference between you know, like a one-time customer and some and and actually building a fan base or a patronage base, right? I think from my standpoint, like my products are sterling silver and and gold, um, which can be pricier. So when I'm making an investment into a customer, um, I can't just make it about that one-time sale. I need them to feel like they can come to me for you know for the next for the next piece and the next piece and turn the and turn that that transaction into a patronage. But um, that that involves a number of things. Like so, uh, when my customers come to me, I, I want them to feel like they can talk to me about um, gold as an investment or how to mm. take care of my take care of my my jewelry pieces now that I've got them. And to um and, and to constantly remind uh, and to constantly reminding them of of that experience so that they know that when they come to me they know that um their pro their pieces are quality that I know the product that I've made, um and so I that's just how it kind of translates for me because when you're in gold you do need to you need to build relationships with customers in a way where they can feel safe spending hundreds of dollars online which not everybody is, yeah and so um understanding your customers a hundred percent are trying to and trying to constantly evolve what you understand about what your customers need from you um so that you can turn that that would be sale into a definite sale and then turn that definite sale into um a, a what i call a patronage you know where i call it a lifetime a lifelong customer where they want to buy something from you year after year you know and and, and have you on top of mind when it comes to reminding them of anniversaries and birthdays and anything that and, and any experience that you think that you might be able to um you know maximize your relationship with a, with with a customer mm, yeah that that relationship word for sure that, that you're not just looking at it as a, a one-click transaction it's so much more and and it's so much deeper than that um and and that speaks to the type of business that you are trying to grow it's not just about you know the quantity of people that you're reaching it's also the quality of um your patrons and, and of these really engaged customers and of the relationship that you're that you're having you're having with them right you want them to have a, have a good relationship with with you moving forward and I don't know if it's necessarily like, you know, like that for everybody, but I'm in, you know, I'm in gold, you know, I, I, like I'm, I'm, um, I need people to feel value and to feel valued, um, in order to make those, to make those sales. Right. And, um, a lot of times too, understanding that when people come to your page or look for you, um, they kind of, they, they already don't like your page because they already know what they want. You don't really need to sell them a lot on, you know, I made earrings. You know, I'm like, that's why they're there. You don't need to tell, you don't need to spend too much time on that. What you need to <laughs> do is more about like, are these earrings for you? Can I suggest them for somebody that you might want to buy them for? You know, remind them that Mother's Day is coming and Valentine's and think about, oh, wedding season's just around the corner. Like to, to remind them that there's all kinds of reasons that they would want to engage your product and your brand. Mm, <clears throat> and then, and you know, it's, it's what we call it, the hustle. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to figure out, you know, how how every interaction you have, can you turn it into a transaction? And um, and it's like that in the retail experience too. Like I, I have a little bit, like I used, I worked for Licenza for a while, for a summer before. And, um, but it was enough for me to, re to remember how important it was um, to have, to, um, to understand what my customers are feeling, you know, like 
working at Lucenza as a specialty shop, you know, if, if somebody goes in there to bra to buy a bra, they know they're going to spend money on it. Uh, if they wanted a cheap bra, they would go to Walmart. They came into Lucenza because they want an experience. They want to know that they're buying from somebody who knows how to size them properly. They want to leave the store feeling a little more educated about the product, but knowing that they're spending more on it than they than they would normally spell, spend on it. You know, and so there's all kinds of different ways you need to look at and understand like the psychology behind a transaction and what a customer needs before they're buying something. And so many about the smaller brands online too, like across Etsy, like the um, platforms like Etsy, there's um there's always there's there's so much of that handcrafted experience. A lot of a lot of um, the jewelry industry in in Canada now is mostly handcrafted and unique. Mm. You know, very few businesses are uh, that are jewelry are actually you know large businesses. Majority of jewelry companies are small and medium sized businesses. In Canada, so you know that you, that customers go to those places knowing that this is a handcrafted piece. It's a small business. It might be a little pricier, but I'm willing to pay it because it's a small business. And um, and so, but you can still give them that educated experience too, where they feel like, oh wow, I just meant to support small business. I never realized coming out of it, I would know my ring size, what kind of gold, what kind of gold, you know, what kind of color gold looks best with most of the, my, my skin tone. You know, like all, all kinds of ways you can approach it, right? You're making me want a jewelry shop, Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that, that's it. You know, like I, you know, we create jewelry, but we create it for specific people and you need to, you know, find them and understand what would keep, what would keep them from making the transaction and uh, make sure that you're giving them the best experiences you can, because even if they can't afford it now, they might be thinking about you come Christmas time. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And that differentiation component, you know, that with the ease of access of e-commerce and, you know, if things, if everything is just a couple of clicks away, what's going to be your differentiation that's going to ensure that they're clicking within your space um, and that they have that established relationship, um, you know, with you. So I think you've provided some really helpful tips and um, sort of prompts to think about that relationship and how you can really cultivate long lasting relationships, even when you're building e-commerce sites um, and e-commerce based businesses. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So final takeaways, Dakota, we're at the end of our time. Any final tips or recommendations you'd like to leave our audience with today? Focus on what you're, on what makes your company unique, right? What makes you stand out in the industry? Um, because that's the, that uniqueness is what you have to offer. There's no such thing as a brand new business, unless you happen to be like Apple, <laughs> unless you're creating the next iPhone. It's, it's very difficult to create, to create a business that doesn't already exist. Um, the difference is, is, you know, what makes you unique and stand out in terms of all the businesses that are out there. And I, and I like to think that, um, no matter how unique you are, the bit, the, the measure of your success is going to be that transaction experience with the customer. So from the time where they're thinking about buying to find, to actually buying, to thinking about buying again in the future, um, what's going to make sure that you can optimize that for the, the individual experience yeah, even though you're selling to the masses, you want to make sure that people feel like that their sales are unique to them and that experience, right? Building on that and and what you can actually offer, that's the unique part. And you need to focus on that and prop that up and build that up because that uniqueness is what's going to make you stand out um, as, a, as a brand online. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Dakota, for joining us on the Startup Women podcast. Uh, and uh, I'll see you on online buying some uh, gold very <laughs> soon. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Dakota. Yeah, thank you so much.
Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, VDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rick Spence and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the economic potential of women.